I'm Brian Hu. I'm Ada Singh. And welcome to Saturday School. When your friends are watching Saturday morning cartoons, you're being forced to learn Asian American pop culture history. Welcome back to Saturday School. If you've listened to our previous episodes, you'll know that this is our semester on Asian American film comedy. So for this class, we're going to go deeper into the vaults, all the way back to 1993, with a classic by any measure, The Wedding Banquet, directed by Ang Lee, which was not just one of the most important Asian American films of all time. It like changed the landscape for American independent cinema all over the world. And it brought to the international attention this little director named Ang Lee. You are cordially invited to a very special wedding. I repeat after me. I wee wee. Wee wee. And you wee Tom. Wee wee. In sickness and in health till death do us part. Till sickness and death. So, so his first film, Pushing Hands, was a cross-cultural comedy set in New York City. It was a hit in Taiwan, so he decided to revisit that formula, and it became The Wedding Banquet, which is about a Taiwanese guy living in New York City. His parents are trying to make sure he gets married soon, immediately, but what he's trying to keep from them is the fact that he's gay, and he's been living with another man. Happily living with another man, but just living a secret life. Yes, until they show up. What started as a little white lie. Don't you see? This way Weiwei can stay in the States and paint. You can finally get your parents off your back. Grew into a performance. This was your big idea. Of amazing proportions. It's kind of a comedy of errors. Is that right? A comedy of misunderstanding? It's a comedy of misunderstandings. It's a social screwball comedy. They're representing different types and they kind of play it up. There's the gay couple and all their gay friends and all the gay stuff they have in their house that they have to immediately change to Chinese scroll paintings when the, when the parents are, are visiting. And then there's the, the mainland girl who needs a visa and they concoct this plan to do a fake marriage to her. Why don't you just tell them? You know, you are an adult. As a matter of fact, you're practically middle-aged. <laughs> I love it because it opens up with him at the gym working out. <laughs> so it's basically this like hot, sweaty, muscular Asian guy working out. But he's very stoic looking and he's listening to these tapes. His mom would record these audio tapes and send it to him and he would listen to them on the phone while he's at the gym. So it's this interesting beginning where it's like, oh yeah, this guy who's, you know, clearly very comfortable with himself and free living in America, but at the same time, through his ears, he still has the voice of his mother, <laughs> who's like very concerned about him being single and, you know, they want grandchildren. They've been trying to set him up using matchmaking services to find him the perfect woman. And he plays along and just, just throws at her his mom just most ridiculous qualifications and then she finds him she actually finds her you see how he's pushed to the limits and you see how stubborn both sides are <laughs> so that's why like in the beginning think like how did they get in this situation but i think ang lee does a good job setting up like oh no <laughs> like <laughs> they're both really serious yeah this is this is gonna be this is gonna this be, is gonna all be all war. war yeah <laughs> and there's just all this stuff it's not <laughs> You feel all the cultural anxiety. It's like, why is he hiding it from his parents? It's not just like he doesn't have a good relationship, you know, because he, or, or, he has a great relationship with them in most ways. But it's just kind of that like 
burden of history. At some point when his dad comes, do you remember that speech he gives him? <laughs> Where it's like, my father tried to set me up with this woman when I was young, but I got so mad that I left and went to war. And then like his whole family died. So it was up to him to carry out, to continue the family name. So that's why it means so much to him to see his son get married and have like have a grandchild so you're kind of like holy shit like this is what's on the line it's not just my parents vision of what they want me to be kind of like our generation you would think like oh i don't want to disappoint my parents but this is like family line and i think i read somewhere that that was actually based on ang lee's father's story according to the lore of people in taiwan like ang lee has always felt that burden of like disappointing his father right right yeah yeah i think i was reading that this is the most autobiographical of his films. Ah, uh, okay. But instead of um, instead of him being gay, it was him being an artist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is just as disappointing. Shameful. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but it's such a... I, I love this movie. We've seen so many similar kinds of films since then with similar themes, but it's the way Ang Lee is, kind of orchestrates this circus. Yes, yeah. It's like this controlled circus where... You think you know what's being set up here, and then it just kind of goes haywire and really in such a fun way. And in a way that, like, you know, like, there's no bad guys in this movie. I mean, there are people who are like, have, have beliefs that maybe we wouldn't share necessarily, but like, we all see where everyone's coming from. And really, it's all about him trying to please everybody and the difficulty, the impossibility of that. Yeah, the, his failure. I feel like even though it's hard to choose a favorite Ang Lee movie, I feel like this might be my favorite Ang Lee movie. Because it's, so, it's just so lovable. I mean, yeah. it's he's he's gone on to make more masterful works, yeah, like just yeah. just films that are just unquestionable masterpieces. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like how I my favorite Bong Joon Ho movie is the Barking Dogs Never Bite, even though he's made like more like Oscar worthy films since then. But I feel like it's just I don't know. There's sort of like a spirit of it. It's not so like big budget. It's not so polished. Yeah. You feel like you get a sense of who they are. You know, before the before the success, before the fame. This is like who they are at the core. Yeah, yeah, and it's like it's and I think that that lack of that polish it has speaks to. I mean, this is 1993. This is like the height of American indie cinema and people really embracing that kind of aesthetic. But yeah, for me, it's also like just a really personal movie. This is the first time I watched the movie and I thought, I totally see my family in this. And I can tell you the exact moment in the movie. What is it? It's when the five foot nine opera singer comes to visit and he's going to pick her up at the airport and she's got really heavy luggage. And he calls her out on it and she says, uh, no, this luggage is from your mom. <laughs> and I immediately, like, it's not even that funny of a joke, but I immediately, like, I know what's in that luggage. I absolutely know what's in it. What's in that luggage? Vitamins? Vitamins. <laughs> it just begins and ends with vitamins. I, already, I know the sound that luggage Eagles? makes. No, no, wait. The, the vitamins will be going from America to Taiwan. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. But the fact that we're having this conversation about a piece of luggage, it was like an in-joke that spoke directly to my family and the way we were brought up. And that's the power of comedy. That like it, it makes you smile in that way. Since since then, I've been I continue to chase that. And it was this Ang Lee movie. I think I watched it in college, but I feel like watching it more recently when we're probably closer to the age that he is now. I think he's in his thirties. Like once he's in his thirties, you better get married now. Well, I have to text from my mom to prove that. <laughs> I don't know. Do you get pressure like that from your mom? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do we not want to talk about this? <laughs> I don't know. I've I get texts from my mom of pictures of my dad holding babies strangers babies <laughs> so 
good. <laughs> Sorry, I know it's painful, but you know, it's also comedic. Yeah, but like these texts are the equivalent of the audio tapes that he was getting in the first scene of the wedding. I know, because you're so, the oldest son. Yeah, my parents live in Taiwan, so... Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they're visiting <laughs> soon. I have nothing to hide from them. Like, just literally nothing. Ryan, when are you getting married? Oh, boy. <laughs> I, I could... I could... I could set up something fake. Just to, just to please all parties. Mm. <laughs> I want Brian to get married. I want to go to a fun party. Well, speaking of the fun party, I mean, like, the wedding banquet is also such a good comedy because of the fun party. Yeah, I think that's what I was, like, one, being a little bit older, but also someone who got married and had kind of like a wedding banquety thing. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so funny. It's so festive and it celebrates everything great about it, but it also pokes fun at a lot of these things because it's, you know, there are all these traditions that you kind of understand but don't understand. But who cares? Everyone's so happy. You just kind of do it. <laughs> yeah, it's just fun and games. It doesn't matter if you're in Taiwan or United States. Yeah, yeah. No one takes these rituals that seriously. But you can see how someone gets swept up in it. Like this character who's gay who does not appreciate getting married. I guess you can see how he gets swept up, swept up in the excitement. And, and also like that he's doing this for his parents. I mean, that's a really beautiful thing too. And leading to other complications that night. But also like this, like think about the formula that this set, like the my big fat Greek wedding. This is the idea like this became huge in the United States, these ethnic weddings and, and how much fun you can have with that in Angley, Angley New. Can you talk a little bit about how um, this was a big deal, not only for Asian American cinema, but for Taiwanese cinema? Yeah, yeah. So... I guess I could talk about the American situation first. So it was the most profitable film that year. If you go by how much the cost of the film was to what percentage it made back. It beat Jurassic Park that year. That was like the famous way of talking about the success of Wedding Banquet. And it really spoke to how a small investment, it could reap huge financial rewards. For Taiwan, though, it was like this is a time when Taiwanese films were not doing well in the box office. The mid-90s, Taiwan was seeing its annual output slip to record lows. And it was this Taiwanese guy living in the United States that became a rare beacon of hope for Taiwanese cinema. And unfortunately for Taiwan, Ang Lee made technically one more film set in Taiwan, Eat, Drink, Man, Woman. And then after that, he just became Hollywood royalty. So we can't really say he saved Taiwanese cinema, but it was, it was like symbolically so important for Taiwan that this existed, that it won the Berlin Film Festival, that it got nominated for an Oscar. Ang Lee is just important for Taiwan in general. He's, he is, as they say, the light of Taiwan. Yeah. <laughs> I would go as far as to say there was a time when people in Taiwan didn't even know what Taiwanese cinema was or what, what it means to, to be in the film world without picturing Ang Lee. Like, I am not a filmmaker, but I work in the film world. My Taiwanese relatives just say he does something like Ang Lee. That's my family's reference, too. When I was a journalist, especially because it's not like I was a journalist at LA Times or anything like that. We were, you know, we were working together at a magazine called Asia Pacific Arts that nobody knew about. And you're like, what are you doing? You're watching movies. You're writing about it. Is anybody reading it? And you're sort of like, I don't know. <laughs> but then I think after I and it wasn't even like a one on one interview. It was a press junket for less caution, but I sat right next to Ang Lee and like Wang Lee home, whatever. I don't think they care as much about Wang Lee home. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, I think it's kind of this thing, like they don't know what to tell their friends what you do because they don't really understand what you do. So it was easier to be like, oh yeah, she's a writer. She interviewed Ang Lee. And then all of their friends are like, wow, she interviewed Ang Lee. <laughs> That's how powerful Ang Lee was. Yeah. Like it made my parents understand what I do, even though it's a little bit fake, right? It's not like 
my job is interviewing Ang Lee as much as I wish it was. <laughs> but like, that's how big of a deal it is in the Taiwanese, Taiwanese American community. He, he validates all of our existence. He's, he's like the Pope. And it's not just that we, we are successful by contact with Ang Lee. <laughs> I think I was successful by contact with Ang Lee. <laughs> I think it's also like Ang Lee has, has created a formula for all subsequent uh, like aspiring artists in Taiwan. Or just anybody who's like not going along the, the prescribed path. He's somebody who like famously got bad grades. He just had to be shipped off to the United States so that his dad, who was like a principal in a high school or something, who could like pretend that that didn't happen with that son. And then famously, like for a decade, living off of his wife in New York City, just like not not getting any projects off. But that, you know, from failure can come success. So <laughs> it, it's like it's created a path for all of us. So when our relatives look at us saying like, are you doing anything? I don't know if you're doing anything, but Ang Lee made it. So... <laughs> It's possible. There's still hope for you. There's still hope, yeah. There still could be an Oscar at the end of end of this tunnel, this dark, dark tunnel that includes podcasts. <laughs> that includes <laughs> reporting on Asian American pop culture. <laughs> dark, how do dark how hole. do we get there? <laughs> but this goes to show that it's not just about the film comedies; it's how film comedies reveal the comedies in our own lives. <laughs> wow, that's good. <laughs> And comedy is always the other side of tragedy. <laughs> so that's our episode. I hope you learned a lot about Brian's love life, and hopefully you're a better friend than I am. Maybe don't pressure your single friends into getting married just because you have a toddler and it's been a while since you've been to a fun party. Saturday School is a proud member of Potluck, a collective of podcasts that feature stories and voices from the Asian American community. Saturday School is produced by me and Brian. Our logo is by Grace Tallis Lee. Our theme song is courtesy of Rimsky Music and Premium Beat. We have a Tiny Letter newsletter that you can sign up for to get lecture notes. Tiny Letter slash Saturday School podcast. Or if you have any questions or comments, you can tweet us. I'm at Ada Singh, A-D-A-T-S-E-N-G. And Brian is at Who's Brian? H-U-S-B-R-I-A-N. Next week, your assignment is to watch the 2007 film Loins of Punjab. Class dismissed. <laughs>